0: Several years ago, the BBC ran a story with this headline, Priests Brawl in Bethlehem's Church of the Nativity. Fights broke out between rival groups of Greek Orthodox and Armenian clerics in a turf war over control of the church, built on the same spot where many Christians believe Jesus was born. The article described bemused tourists looking on as about 100 priests fought with brooms while cleaning the church in preparation for Christmas. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Christmas should bring peace, but it often stirs up angst and anxiety. We're continuing in our Christmas series called The Promise. Our topic today is Peace Proclaimed.
1: We're continuing in our series that we're calling The Promise as we've been looking at promises from the prophet Isaiah, and then we're tracing their fulfillment to and through the characters of Christmas. Christmas can be summarized with four words, promises made and promises kept. A promise is an assurance that certain things will come to pass. Are you aware that there are more than 300 prophetic promises fulfilled with pinpoint precision by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? In addition, we celebrated this truth at our prophecy conference that there are scores of additional promises and prophecies that will be fulfilled at his second coming. Christmas has its roots in the Old Testament. And here are just seven of those promises ranging from Moses to Malachi. The Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah will be presented with gifts from foreign leaders who fall before him. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will minister in Galilee. That was our topic last weekend. The Messiah will be a descendant of Jesse. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be preceded by a messenger. Well, last week we considered Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, and we discovered this truth. No matter what happens or is happening right now, hold on to hope. Well, let's return to this chapter today, and we're going to see how the promise of peace was foretold and then fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Our main idea is this, the only way to have peace is to give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. Open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that as our gift. Verse 4 For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So when the light of life comes, this heavy yoke described in isaiah 9 will be lifted words of jesus for my yoke is easy and my burden is light in the place of burdens god wants to give us blessings drop down to verse 6 familiar words perhaps you've heard these words in a song for to us a child is born to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 6 sets forth the indescribable uniqueness of Jesus. Oh, would you observe both the humanity and the deity are on full display. Consider first the humanity, for to us, a child is born. That describes the birth of Jesus as a baby. But also notice deity, to us a son is given. Jesus is God's eternal son given as a gift to us. We could say it like this, the child was birthed in Bethlehem and the eternal son was given to us as a gift. One commentator noted, the son wasn't born, the son eternally existed. The child was born, the son was given. They're both true, aren't they? The son is given, the child is born. Charles Spurgeon went deep when he preached these words. He is as truly born as certainly a child as any other man that ever lived upon the face of the earth. He is thus in his humanity a child born. But as Jesus Christ is God's son, he is not born but given, begotten of the Father from before all worlds, not made. On top of that, we read, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, I hope you've come prepared to worship today. Consider this. All the expectations of the throne of King David are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The baby bundled in the straw holds the universe together. The one nestled on Mary's shoulders bears everything on his shoulders. He is redeemer and ruler of all. This past Monday and Tuesday night were the ladies' Christmas parties, and I put an apron on, and, well, I acted like I was serving. Actually, I just went around and talked to people. You can see here, it looks like my eyes are closed. I'm actually praying for a couple ladies here. I appreciated, at the end, Sheila Kershak gave a message, and she emphasized that during this time of the year, let's recapture the wonder and the awe of Christmas. I was chatting with someone before the service. Doesn't it feel like this year you have to fight for that even? You have to go after it because so much is happening around us and within us, so we have to work hard at recapturing that. You know, I wonder if part of the reason we've been inoculated by the incarnation and even bored with the baby is because we just focus on the infant Jesus. Oh, note the phrase, his name shall be called. That means he will justly bear this name. Jesus came in the cradle in order to go to the cross to purchase our peace. And when he comes again, he'll be wearing a crown and he will usher in his reign of peace. Drop down one verse in Isaiah chapter 9 to verse 7 of the increase of his government and of, here's the word, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Luke chapter 1, verse 23 picks up on this prophecy. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I love that last phrase of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word zeal means intense desire. Isaiah fifty-nine seventeen says, God has wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. God is zealous to see his plan of redemption accomplished in your life today. Now, let's go back and let's think about that phrase, Lord of hosts. That can be translated as Lord of armies. God has at least three kinds of armies at his disposal. Well, let's consider first national armies— Consider the Babylonians who God used to accomplish his purposes. God also enlists the stars of creation to do his bidding, and he drafts the angelic hosts to do his work. He unleashes all of his passionate zeal and all of his resources to bring about all of his purposes. Now, consider this. God used all three of these armies to activate his plan that first Christmas. Oh, worship with me as we see this. Number one, he mobilized the Roman government To call for a census so Jesus could be birthed in Bethlehem so they were up in Nazareth Joseph and Mary Bethlehem's 95 miles away how to get Jesus from there down to here so he could be born in Bethlehem thus fulfilling a prophecy found in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 God used a government to call for that census Secondly, he caused the star in heaven to burn bright enough to get the attention of astrologists living hundreds of miles away in another country, and he unleashed an army of angels, the heavenly host to announce the good news of glory to God and peace to people as a result of the Savior's birth. Now, with all of that as the promise, let's go to Luke chapter 2 as we see the fulfillment. Luke chapter 2. After one angel appeared to the shepherds announcing good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, let's actually, let me have you listen as I read. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, notice it's one angel, said to them, fear not. (laughs) Why do you have to tell them to fear not? Well, because they were scared. They're just out. It's nighttime. They're simple shepherds. And an angel appears. They're afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Drop down to verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel, so with the one angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, and what were they doing? They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, angels do sing in other instances, but would you observe, here it says they say these words of worship. That word suddenly means the heavenly host came unexpectedly, busting out into praise, shouting into the stillness and silence of the previous 400 years. Now, the promise from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, of the coming of the Prince of Peace reverberated across seven centuries. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. That promise echoed through the hallways of heaven and finally culminated in an expression of angelic adoration. Glory to God in the highest And on earth peace peace among those with whom he is pleased let's look at two aspects of this birth announcement given to a group of simple shepherds first glory to God in the first stanza the multitude of the heavenly host praise God and they say glory to God in the highest the original meaning of glory is the idea of weightiness God's glory is the sum total of the weightiness of all of his attributes. It includes his splendor his brightness, his shining, his radiance, his brilliance, his status, his praise, his honor, his wonder, his supernatural power, all on full display. It has to do with the fame of God's glorious name and the heaviness of his holiness. The first part of the story is all about God's glory. The second part is all about the peace he extends to those with whom he is pleased. Notice then, peace to people. The adoration of the angels led them to declare a proclamation of peace. And we see that in the second stanza of verse 14. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's possible, we don't know for sure. Maybe these worshiping warriors divided into an antiphonal choir where one side sang, glory to God in the highest, in the other and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you note that peace comes only after praising You see, we must put God in his glory first and then peace will come. We must keep together what the angels kept together, glory to God and peace to people. A heart bent on showing and sharing the glory of God will know and grow in the peace of God. The only way to have peace is to first give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. And before we can be at peace with God, we have to realize and come to grips with how ruptured our relationship with God is apart from Christ. Certainly, God loves us. He cherishes us. We've been made in his image. We matter to him. But because of our incessant sinfulness, the Bible says that God is filled with indignation about that sin. Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath, oh, we don't talk much about this today, do we? But the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. No, but I can't wait to share the good news. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have, here it is, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I can now be at peace with God. God the Father poured out the wrath, the fury, the indignation on his Son instead of on us who died in our place as our sin substitute and rose again from the dead. Emmanuel is our intermediary. Ephesians 2 says he himself is our peace Colossians 1:20, making peace through his blood shed on the cross friends peace only sounds wonderful when you know you've been at war the good news of the gospel is only good news when you first recognize the bad news that you're a sinner that I'm a sinner and that we're at war It's a radical thought that God's anger is satisfied because of the sacrifice of his son. It's all absorbed by the death of Jesus. The curse of sin is reversed by the Savior. Propitiation brings peace. And once we are justified by faith, peace is a primary reality for the believer. We can face a holy God because now, well, now we've been glued to him by the finished and final work of Christ on the cross. Is that not good news, church? You see, no matter how far away you are, and some of you feel very far away, and maybe you feel like you've been DQ'd because of what you've done, how you've been living, let the truth of Isaiah 57, 19 wash over you. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Well, let's consider next the peace of God. If you and I want to have the peace of God internally, we must first experience peace with God vertically. The upward dimension must be taken care of before inward peace can permeate our lives. I could say it like this, only those at peace with God can experience the peace of God. Shortly before Jesus died, he declared in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The inner peace is a gift from Jesus, and it's a key element of the fruit of the Spirit. You and I will experience this peace in proportion to the room we give the Holy Spirit in our lives. I talked to someone recently who told me how God had given her peace in the midst of a very difficult situation. She described the peace as surprising and then she was trying to define it and she couldn't do it. She was searching for words and I said, well, that's the peace that's promised in Philippians 4, 7, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So when we're at peace with God, we can have internal peace and then we can be at peace with others. Jesus said these words Matthew 5 verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God it's interesting Jesus didn't call us to be peace keepers he called us to be peacemakers that can be translated as peace workers Well, you know, if you've ever been in conflict with someone and you want to do all you can to make it right, it's work. Your heart races. You're like, this takes a lot. It might be more conflict while you're talking. It takes effort to bring conflict to an end. It takes humility when we work at resolving conflict, we're doing what God does. We're called to make peace when we're involved in conflict. Romans fourteen nineteen lays out our responsibility. Let us therefore make every effort, that's the work part, which leads to peace and mutual edification. Oh, there's a fourth element, and that's peace for others. The only way for people to have peace with God, for them to have peace inside and to be at peace with others, is for people like us who know Jesus to tell them about the gospel of peace. Peter summarizes the essence of the incarnation, Acts 10.36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Something I discovered this week that I had not seen before, let's go back and consider the first three words of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Fast forward 700 years, for unto you is born this day. Isaiah 9, plural, for to us, Luke 2, 11, personal, for unto you. See, it's one thing to say Christ died for the sins of the whole world. It's another thing to say he died for me. Jesus was born to the whole world, but he was also born unto you. Christmas is his story, but it must become your story. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born, that's personal, this day, that means right now, don't hesitate or procrastinate, in the city of David, fulfilling prophecy, a savior, one who forgives sins, who is Christ the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah, who is master and leader. The mighty choir of heaven is proclaiming unto you the glory of God, wrapped up in the gift of his son for you, because God gets the glory when people are at peace. And if you've not done so yet, will you receive the gift of salvation? Luke 2.16 says the shepherds went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds ran to find the Prince of Peace. Will you run? Will you repent? Will you
0: receive the Savior who is born unto you? Jesus was born to the whole world, but he was also born unto you. Is he Savior to you? Is he Christ to you? Is he Lord to you? The mighty choir of heaven is proclaiming unto you the glory of God wrapped up in the gift of his Son for you. God gets the glory when people are at peace. Will you receive the gift of salvation right now? Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at five or Sunday at nine or 1045. My name is Matt Williams and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.